This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about the structured settlement industry from the experts in the know. Ringler Associates, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years and the only broker you need. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, Mass Mutual, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Now, join Ringler Radio host, Larry Cohen. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Ringler Radio. I'm your host, Larry Cohen, the head of Ringler Associates New England Operations, and we're awful glad you joined us again today. Remember, you can listen to every Ringler Radio show free from our website at ringlerassociates.com or on the Legal Talk Network at legaltalknetwork.com. And now as an added bonus, you can also get CLE credit for listening to Ringler Radio at law.com's CLE Center. Well, today we're going to talk about settlement trusts and how they interact with structured settlements. Now, if it sounds like it's a little complex, it can be, but thanks to today's guest, we're going to be able to break it all down for you, and it certainly is a fascinating issue. But before we begin, I'd like to introduce my co-host, Bill Wakeley from Ringler's Philadelphia office. Bill is a settlement annuity specialist in the Philly office. He's got 15 years of claims management, financial, and structured settlement experience. He's responsible for designing, negotiating, and placing structured settlements for the resolution of medical malpractice, general liability, product liability, automobile, and workers' compensation claims. Welcome, Bill. That's a lot of responsibility you got there. That is. I, I can't remember that I did all that during the course of the day. <laughs> Neither can anyone that works with you, Bill. I just want to let you know <laughs> that. But uh, I'd also like to introduce our special guest today, David J. Cover, Senior Vice President and Senior Settlement Advisor for the Trust and Investment Services Division of People's Bank and one of the leading experts in the nation on settlement trusts. David has been in the trust and investment field since 1986. He holds a Bachelor of Science degree in accounting from Penn State University and a master's degree in business administration from Indiana University of Pennsylvania. I always thought that was a geographically challenged name, didn't you? Yes, it is. <laughs> I could have forgot. Is it? Is there a Pennsylvania University in, in Indiana? I didn't, I didn't know if that was true. Indiana, Pennsylvania, the proud hometown of Jimmy Stewart. Very, very nice. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a wonderful life. <laughs> well, welcome, David, to Ringler Radio. Thank you very much, Larry, for having me. Well, David, why don't you, uh, for our audience, just explain in, in what I'll call layman's terms exactly what a settlement trust is and who is most likely to need one. Sure, Larry. Uh, most of us would understand the tax-free benefits of structured settlements and the role that they play in uh, large cases and small cases as well. However, trusts are frequently established to accommodate the payment of extensive and ongoing medical bills that an individual might have who has suffered a catastrophic illness or injury. Mm -hmm. and, and David, you know, we previously did a show uh, on Wrangler Radio and the Legal Talk Network called Personal Injury Victims as Unique Investor Class. Do you agree in that sense that they are unique? And, and if so, how are they treated differently from your perspective? I absolutely agree. That, that unique investor class is unique because many of these individuals have permanently lost their ability to work at a job that has the same earning capacity that they would have otherwise had had they not been injured. So these investments are looked at much differently in that they are what I call a declining balance account or declining balance trust. This lump sum 
that they receive is very much uh, to be treated as the last paycheck these people will ever have. Mm -hmm. So um, we really have to look at the investment of that money much differently and try to focus those individuals on concentrating the spending of those monies directly on purposes related to their ongoing care and well-being and not to take on that um, lottery winner type mentality that you so often hear about with personal injury victims. I don't think anybody would uh, trade places with a personal injury victim just to get their hands on that sort of money. Well, absolutely not. You know, David, um, people who uh, receive these awards from these settlements uh, and lawsuits, a lot of times they don't know what to do with their money. And, and you know, that's hopefully where we come in as, as brokers in the process to kind of educate them about structured settlements. But a lot of times they'll go to their local financial advisor and uh, sit down with them and sometimes those financial advisors, we find, are not really that uh, knowledgeable about structured settlements, about some of the tax-free advantages that we have, and even about trusts. So how do you feel about that? Where should these people be going, in your view, to, to kind of get their best handle on what to do with those funds? Sure. As, as I mentioned earlier, their financial needs are just so different than those of the average investor. And while most financial advisors are highly educated in areas of retirement planning, estate planning, or life insurance, um, the core of their business is the, inv- is the investment of retirement accounts, like IRAs and 401k rollovers, along with putting together wealth building programs for business owners or individuals who have significant capacity for personal savings or investment. And they, they also have very little or no knowledge at all of structured settlement annuities. Mm-hmm. So what we often see is uh, in working with an individual who no longer has their ability to work, um, they'll try to subject their portfolios to the same sorts of uh, assumptions and risk levels of someone who has the ability to replace investment losses with additional deposits to their accounts. So when I talk about those cash disbursement needs, it's so much higher than that of the retiree who simply needs a monthly check to supplement their Social Security and perhaps another pension that they're receiving. So a common mistake we might see is a financial advisor would try to meet that cash flow need by investing the money in a non-qualified annuity, whether a fixed annuity or a variable annuity, which um, could have been acquired through a structured settlement broker that generated tax-free income. Mm -hmm. But instead, the financial advisor puts them in a non-qualified annuity, which does nothing more than converts um, in a systematic way capital gain income to ordinary income, thus taxing their earnings at the maximum federal tax rate. Well, that's what I meant by uh, not being as knowledgeable as they should be. And, and oftentimes they may be knowledgeable and they want to direct them in a certain direction for other other reasons. But yeah. we, we've got uh, – always, I've always said to lawyers that we're not talking – most of the time about discretionary income that these claimants are, are receiving to go and invest in some wonderful rate of return play. I mean, th- these monies are needed for their day-to-day living expenses, typically, and need uh, need to be protected. Absolutely, You're absolutely right. And, and, you know, that David and, and Larry, you both brought up a good point about uh, bringing knowledge to the table that is relevant to this particular type of investor. Um, David, maybe you could kind of just jump in here and tell us you know, if, if, when we look at the process here, wh- at what point would somebody like you as a, as a trust advisor want to get involved in a, in a case to, to make sure that the folks on the other side, on both sides, know 
the various advantages and differences uh, that, that you might be able to put on the table versus somebody else? I think the earlier we get involved, the better. Um, quite often what we see is we get a call and somebody has already received their award. And now, and then that, especially when you work in a commercial bank relation, uh, environment like I do, you'll get a call that we have somebody in our branch who just who wants to buy a quarter of a million or $500,000 CD because they just won a settlement and they don't know what to do with the money. Well, at that point, all of their abilities to make wise decisions regarding um, how best to take receipt of that money has passed. They've probably already turned down the structure, and um, now they're left with um, trying to make decisions at a time when, had they worked with us earlier, we could have helped them through the planning process. So we can work uh, directly with both plaintiff and defense brokers and counsel in helping to evaluate a case and determine what is the ideal way to split the proceeds between upfront cash, um, a structured settlement annuity, is there a need for a special needs trust perhaps if Medicaid benefits are being received, or there might, might there be other, um, some other sort of vehicle that would be appropriate. So really the earlier we get involved, the better. And getting the discussion of all of these very complex financial scenarios going with the plaintiff early um, makes them more comfortable, I think, in uh, the long run. And, and our goal really is to see everybody win, especially the plaintiff. Um, we want to make sure that their needs are taken care of. And that's a very good point. And I think you, know, you could also kind of rephrase that to say that a lot of the plaintiffs that we deal with in these situations um, not only are not educated on the options that they have available to them, but let's face it, they're vulnerable. I mean, this is a, you know, as Larry said earlier, this is a one-shot deal that they have settlement funds that may need, you know, to last the rest of their life. So do you find that as well, David, that these folks actually feel vulnerable when they when they come to this crossroads and this decision-making process? Absolutely. I uh, often, these people have never had the need of a financial advisor before. The concept of of speaking to one or even trying to find a financial advisor can be very intimidating, and they may not even have a network of friends or family members who can refer them to a qualified advisor. So then that makes them vulnerable to um, what I like to refer to as the financial predators out there. And that could be anyone from a greedy broker who's looking to put somebody in high commission type products that have you know, high exit fees and high internal fees and may not be appropriate from an investment standpoint. But um, more importantly is to be able to keep those people at bay who, who may be within their own close inner circle of friends and family that are well-meaning but um, have you know, become aware that their brother or cousin or uncle has received a large settlement and they may have a lot of great ideas on how that money should be used to maximize their returns. Um, you know, we might see somebody approach the settlement victim to help them start a business, and um, you know that often fails. I've, I've seen people ask the settlement victim to loan them money, and I put the word loan in quotes, to pay off their credit card debt. The case I saw was somebody who had was paying you know 30 percent. Rates of, re rates of interest on their credit cards, and they said, if you lend me the money, I'll pay you 7 or 8%, which is more than you could get from 
an investment account or a CD or something like that. Um, needless to say, that money is often not paid back. And it's kind of upsetting when I see that. I, I feel that if a healthy person is in debt and um, they're having trouble getting out of it, they shouldn't be going to their injured relative. There's a much better place for them to go um, when they have that problem. And if you ever listen to the financial guru, Dave Ramsey, that place is to go to work. So I, th- I think that's what exactly. that would be the advice that we uh, we like to coach those people through. You know, you're right, David, about uh, family members. Uh, it seems that every other case is a brother-in-law that wants to open up a pizza shop. There's, there's something going on with business that uh, they want to uh, have that individual help them with. And, and that vulnerability, uh, it, it, there's a human nature element to it. People do want to help their relatives and friends, and it, and it puts those people at risk when, the, when that money's sitting there. And that's one of the reasons why uh, we often tell them and the plaintiff attorneys that when you do a structured settlement, for example, it, it's, it's easier to tell your, your relatives that, look, I'm getting a monthly check. I don't have this big goal, you know, this lump of, of money sitting somewhere to, to be gotten to. And if you have the... Um the upfront cash invested with a professional who does the sort of work that we do, yes. you can refer them to, some, to me and let me be the bad guy. There you go. Um, and I like to use the example, and I, I alluded to this earlier, but what if all of us in our jobs, rather than getting paid every two weeks or twice a month, got our paycheck on January 1st of every year? How, how far would you get into the year before you were completely broke? And, um, You're talking about Bill or me? <laughs> <laughs> Not very far, but but you know, look at the you, you look at the injured victim and the, and the injured party, and that's what's happening with their settlement. They're getting one paycheck that is expected to last them the rest of their life, and you know, a million or two million or five million dollars looks like a lot of money until you start getting into the details of what it actually costs to provide health care and um, housing and everything else to somebody uh, for the rest of their life. You know, David, that's a great uh, way to put it. I think I'm going to use that next time I'm sitting <laughs> with a plaintiff attorney. That, that's a very good way to put it because people are, uh, people are apt too many times to spend money too soon. Right. Well, the trust, you know, as you know, may be established by the plaintiff, the defendant, or sometimes the court to make uh, the funds available for future needs of the, of the plaintiff. Uh, who determines what those needs are, David, in your opinion, and, and how do they arrive at dollar amounts for future care, especially in the medical side? Are we usually talking about life care plans and other elements like that that really – so you can sit and determine as a trust advisor how those money should uh, should be set up? That's exactly what we look at is the life care plan, and they can be very detailed. Um, I know the, the structured settlement brokers out there should be intimately acquainted with these um, sometimes – extremely complex spreadsheets that have 15 or 25 or 30 columns of categories and row upon row of of items that need to be evaluated in order to figure out how best to to lay out the plan to meet the needs of Mm -hmm. this person. So those life care plans, along with the specific language in the trust document when a trust does exist, um, are the two places we go uh, for information. Mm -hmm. David, uh, one other quick question about... uh, I guess the logistics a little bit of, of how the trust works. If funds remaining in the trust after the death of the plaintiff may revert, I suppose, in whole or in part back to the defendant or the grantor or to the estate of the plaintiff itself. Because the trust fund is used for medical expenses actually incurred, 
it avoids providing a windfall to the plaintiff's estates. Could could you kind of explain this a little further and, and, and just talk about why that is important? Sure. Quite often when a trust is involved, it usually means that the the gross settlement is, is often a million dollars or more. And depending on how much goes into the structured settlement annuity, the trust can start out with balances anywhere from you know, a quarter of a million to a million dollars or more than that. And if no structure is involved at all, then of course all of that money may go into a trust. If the plaintiff lives for a number of years, which we always hope is the case, um, those, that trust can grow even more and you end up having a multi-million dollar estate for an individual who's often single. And the current federal estate tax structure has the maximum federal estate tax rate going back to 55% in 2011. Right now, the top rate is around 48%, but those are pretty staggering numbers um, that can end up going to the government in the form of federal estate taxes, not to mention the taxes due in the individual state of the decedent. Uh, some trusts may have reversionary provisions where the grantor retains a reversionary interest. That grantor, some, a number of the trusts that we handle, the grantor is the U.S. government, but um, there are other entities that can do use a reversionary type trust, which means that if all of the funds that were placed into the trust specifically to pay medical benefits are not expended, at the time of the death of the beneficiary, they would revert back to the grantor. So again, that piece of the, tr of the um, beneficiary's estate would avoid inheritance taxes, as would any por portions of a trust in a special needs trust that may be subject to a Medicaid lien. Mm -hmm. um, additionally, and Bill, perhaps you can shed some light on this, when a structured settlement annuity is in a trust, I know there are different ways that annuity can be written. and. Uh, if it has a certain term that has not expired at the time of the death of the beneficiary, a portion of that annuity may be included in the taxable estate, but there may be other ways where that may not be. I don't, can you shed some light on that, Bill? Yeah, and exactly. You know, and it all comes back down, David, as you and Larry both discussed earlier, about the design of the settlement and taking these things into account. I mean, very often we, we will have, you know, a lifetime annuity with a, a certain period of, say, 10, 20, or 30 years that is flowing into a trust, and should that person die, the trust, obviously, at that point, is extinguished for the purposes of, of what it was made for or designed for, uh, but those payments now, the, the tax-free structured settlement annuity payments, may continue on uh, beyond the life of that trust uh, to the beneficiary, specifically named or otherwise, uh, to the original injured party, So, uh, and those tax-free benefits continue on. Um, at that point as well. You know, the problem with a lot of these cases, and, and you raise it, David, if they're, if, they're, if they're very large, you know, you have, to, you have to just look at the size of potentially the estate of the individual who's going to pass away. And, and if, um, if, it, if it's extremely large, uh, you've got you've to really talk about a couple of things, especially with the structured settlement annuity. One of those would be a commutation rider that the structure may have on it uh, so that when the individual passes away, Instead of these guaranteed payments coming out monthly like they were to him or her, the life company could, with the proper rider on the policy, could commute that back to a lump sum to be able to pay the taxes, the estate taxes that might come due. The, the issue sometimes isn't so much the fact that there are taxes. 
The issue is, are there funds available to pay the taxes? And and with structures that are coming out on a, on a, on a periodic basis, oftentimes those commutation riders are helpful. Another thing, of course, depending on the, the condition of the claimant, uh, life insurance is often purchased to take care of those estate tax issues that may arise. And I'm sure that sitting down with someone like yourself and some financial folks, the, the right, as Bill said, design of the program can be made so that everybody is on the same page and that we're, the expectations for potentially estate issues coming up aren't a surprise later on. Right. Well, that's exactly right. Well, David, talk a bit about the different kinds of trusts that are out there. You mentioned uh, briefly a special needs trust. Uh, you also talked about reversionary items and reversionary trust, and there are also settlement preservation trusts. Uh, and are, are there any others? Tell, tell us a little bit about those uh, types of trusts that you deal with. Well, one of the things that, that, we, that we just touched on that, that leads right into this question nicely is the concept of a commercial trustee serving as a court-appointed guardian for the estate of a minor or an incapacitated person. It often works a lot like a trust, but um, an example that, that we have here was a, a very large case. It was about a $4 million net settlement back in the 80s where um, you had a, a young man in his 20s, um, and he's in something like a persistent vegetative state. And he had no estate planning documents. He had not appointed uh, power of attorney. He had not given power of attorney to his parents or anything like that. And he went from the car accident, accident immediate into this condition. When the award was won, um, unfortunately, there's nothing that we can do, not much of anything that we can do from an estate planning standpoint for this man's estate. Now, he has lived for more than 15 years since his injury. He's far outlived all of the projections. And had a structured settlement been involved, we could have much better, um, I think, provided for his needs. Mm -hmm. um, at that time, the, the, we weren't even aware that that industry <laughs> existed. But um, in the meantime, um, we're dealing with a man who's going to lose uh, you know, between two and three million dollars to estate taxes, yes, sure. and there's really nothing at all that can be done to get that money to his family. Mm -hmm. um, from an estate planning standpoint, uh, with, there's we, we've considered petitioning the courts, but because of his condition, we can't put together any sort of scenario that he would have a likelihood to live long enough to. Um, outweigh the benefits of doing making some of the advanced transfers that we would had considered doing so mm -hmm. um, it's left us in a real bind so uh, but commercial banks often do serve as a court appointed guardian and I know that that's a, a complicated thing sometimes in settlements especially where minors are involved because it's difficult and expensive to get a parent bonded and they're often not familiar with the requirements of serving as a guardian in terms of what you may and may not spend the money for and how the process of providing regular accountings to the courts works. But um, commercial banks are, are do that all the time, and they have the technology and the accounting systems that can provide reports to the courts in a manner that is usually accepted and uh, or can be modified easily to be accepted by them. So it can really help these families work their way through a complicated process. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, we often uh, 
look to commercial banks as these uh, these trustee positions because sometimes parents, uh, not only are they ill-equipped sometimes to be these uh, trustees or guardians, but sometimes there's a conflict of interest in the family itself. So it, it's nice to have a, a disinterested third party like a commercial bank sometimes take over that role. Right. Well, let's take a very short break right now so we can hear from the folks that make Ringler Radio a reality. And when we come back, we'll have more with Bill Wakeley and David Cover in about one minute. This is Ringler Radio, internet radio from Ringler Associates. Quite simply, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Experience counts. Over 130,000 cases structured. This is Ringler Radio, internet radio from Ringler Associates, placing more than $18 billion in structures over the past 30 years, and one of the few companies that truly enjoys the trust of all parties in the settlement process. Ringler Associates, the only broker you need. Listen to all the Ringler Radio shows. Just go to ringlerassociates.com and click on Ringler Radio and choose a topic. Ringler Radio is produced by broadcast professionals at the Legal Talk Network. Did you know you can download Ringler Radio to your iPod? Just go to iTunes and subscribe to the Legal Talk Network. It's free. We invite you to listen to our other shows on the Legal Talk Network and become a member. It's free at www.legaltalknetwork.com. Did you know Ringler Radio is one of the top three rated shows in iTunes? Thanks to all of our listeners who download all the Ringler Radio shows. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, Mass Mutual, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Did you know that Legal Talk Network shows are also available as CLE, including Ringler Radio? Visit Law.com's CLE Center at www.clecenter.com. That's clecenter.com to enjoy listening and get CLE credit. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen along with my colleague Bill Wakeley from our Philadelphia office of Ringler Associates. We're talking about settlement trusts and how structured annuities fit into the process with our special guest, David J. Cover. Senior Vice President and Senior Settlement Advisor for the Trust and Investment Services Division of People's Bank, and he's down in York, Pennsylvania. Well, David, what is the uh, typical rate of return on a trust uh, involving a structured settlement such as the ones we've talked about? Well, I can tell you what uh, my competitors might say, and I'll tell you what I say, because sometimes there can be a a very wide range of what those returns are. Mm -hmm. The typical advisor is going to show uh, an individual rates of return on portfolios that can be anywhere from 40% stocks, 60 bonds, to 60% stocks, 40 bonds, or even more aggressive. Mm-hmm. And we use indexes like the S&P 500 or the five-year uh, Treasury index and, and various standard indexes. And uh, typically in a conservative portfolio, if I have a structured settlement coming in there too, I might, I'm going to start investing conservatively, maybe only 20 to 40% in stocks and work my way over a three to five year period into a 60% equity allocation. Because as you've seen this year, the markets have been highly volatile. Mm -hmm. So had we funded a trust with all cash back in July, um, by the end of August, it would have lost about 10 or 15% um, in a very short period of time. And 
if that's a million dollars and you lose 150 in a month or two, um, what does that do to that life care plan and all the projections that were done at settlement? It really makes a mess of things. Mm -hmm. So quite often, those of us in the financial advisory community are well-trained to focus our clients on long-term results, and we like to look at 10-year average returns. So if I look at a, a, a real conservative 40% stock, 60% bond portfolio, since 1950, that type of portfolio has averaged about 8.6% per year. And so that seems okay and pretty reasonable. But what a lot of my competitors don't do a good job, and I use this test with my clients to understand how they feel about risk, is in any one-year period, in any 12-month period, what is the range of returns in, in an individual 12-month period? Mm -hmm. And in that same portfolio that averages 8.6, our worst one-year period was a loss of 14.8%, and the worst and the best one-year period was a gain of 40.8%. So, again, I go That's back what I, to, I want to invest in the 40.8 year. Exactly. Can I, can I wanna, time that? Can I time that? <laughs> you want to do that all the time. I'll talk to you after the show on how to do that. But, <laughs> yeah. but we like to say you really need to be cautious in evaluating claims by advisors so. of high returns when they only show you those long-term averages because you, a good advisor needs to understand if the client has the stomach for you know, having to invest at a high and, and having to swallow that 15% loss. You know, David, we deal with this all the time because structured settlement annuities, you know, tax-free, have very competitive rates of return, but there's always somebody out there that thinks they're smarter and they get better rates of return, and they're, they want to take the cash, and invariably... I always tell them, you know, the rate of return doesn't mean much if the cash is dissipated and there's nothing to invest. So uh, it's important to get a good rate of return, but uh, the stability and safety of, of, the, of the corpus of those funds is very, very important. Exactly. And there's also the tax factor that doesn't right. even come into, cl into those claims of return. Yeah. So. David, here's, here's a question for you. And, and I, this is probably an obvious question, but I, I wanted to kind of take you in a different direction because there are clients that come to you or cases that, that Larry and I handle that they, they don't need a trust necessarily, uh, but they may need a, a financial advisor or they may need, um, you know, financial advice in any case, if not, you know, a full-on bank trust. Can a bank trust department also facilitate that type of relationship? Yes, we can. Um, we can serve in the capacity of as an investment advisor and establish an investment advisory type of account for a client. And the benefit of doing that is we can have we can set things up so that the structured settlement annuity that is purchased will flow into the investment advisory account and can play a role in acting as a fixed income vehicle for the investment advisory account. And then using that money to meet current cash flow needs and then investing the rest of the money for longer term needs, we can really make good decisions and provide the client with good advice and then have that enable them to have one place to come to each time they need to have um, money from their account. We can set up regular monthly disbursements that uh, will meet their ongoing needs, but when they have the time where they have to replace a handicapped accessible van or do an addition to their house or some other type of home modification. Uh, we have that as well. Another thing we sometimes do, um, and I'll just touch on this briefly, and that is sometimes the cash flow needs between the earnings on investments and the structure don't match up perfectly with the way life happens for these individuals. 
And in my experience here with our bank, I've been here almost six years, and we have about 180 trusts or investment advisory accounts that have structured settlements coming into, into them. We have never once had to factor a structure. And that's because we've yet almost always been able to, uh, in a creative way, use a loan product to um, accommodate a short-term cash flow shortfall um, in order to meet the clients. Well, that, that's very good to hear because, uh, you know, as you all know, it's a very controversial area, that factoring area. And we, you know, we all uh, try to protect as best we can the, uh, the nature of those monthly income pieces that are flowing out to these individuals. Well, let me ask you this. In the age of the Internet, uh, you know, with a lot of these online uh, activities going on, banking and, and, and financial advice, uh, how does a client monitor their trust funds online if they were, for example, sitting in, in, in your bank, in People's Bank? Most corporate trustees, are, and ours does as well, mm-hmm. has, an Internet, has Internet access to their trust system where um, they can see what happens in their trust account every single day. And we... Most of our clients will use this, and it it helps our phone ring a little less, although we like to talk to our clients a lot as well. But if somebody just wants to know, did they they pay that um, doctor bill yet or not, they can just go online and they can see right away which bills we've already paid. And they can monitor their investment performance online and see how the underlying investments of their portfolios are going. Um, They can often download that information into um, other software like Quicken or something like that um, with some of the providers. So it's very easy to, to keep tabs on on uh, your trustee, and it's kind of interesting because when you have clients who live in different time zones, they often know what you did before you did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, some people like, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're up early and checking their accounts at 5 a.m., and we get into the office, they already have a message for us wanting to know what, what happens. So. There you and, go. David, speaking of, uh, of, of fees and, and how the trust works and everything like that, are there any hidden fees that, that people need to be aware of when they deal with setting up um, a trust, even if it has a structured settlement annuity feeding it? And, and, you know, maybe talk a little bit about federal regulations that might come up. Um, and I guess lastly, is there a minimum amount of money that is needed to set up a trust, which is often uh, a question that comes up in our line of work? Sure. Um, from a federal regulation standpoint, um, trustees come under the regulation either of their State Department of Banking and or the FDIC or the Office of Thrift Supervision or the OCC, the Office of the Controller of the Currency. So it depends on the bank's charter, as to they, but they all have at least two regulatory bodies. Their State Department of Banking or whatever it may be called in their state would be one, and then there would be one other federal um, regulator. And so we are examined on an annual basis by one of those two primary regulators. So uh, that's what is unique about a bank trust department. While the bank itself is examined, the trust departments of banks have their own separate set of regulators that uh, put everything we do under a microscope. But um, I've seen advertisements for trustees that will handle a trust for as little as $600 per year, and um, that seems like an awfully low fee. But in, in a case like that, these are trustees that are going to invest all of the money in mutual funds that are run by their own bank. So they're also going to be receiving fees for the management of the mutual funds that are not disclosed in that $600 annual fee. That would be above and beyond that. And quite often, those proprietary mutual funds are the only investment options for those trusts. 
So that may or may not be a, that could be a good or a bad thing for the um, long-term investment performance of that trust. Um, I'm sure, Bill, you are well acquainted with the concept of um, present and future value and, you know, a couple of dozen basis points here and there in return over a 20-year time period can mean thousands of dollars available for um, health care expenses for that beneficiary. Um, in addition to uh, those types of fees, I've seen banks that charge a fee for collecting the annuity payment. So if there's a trust that has an annuity flowing into it, there's one bank that I know of that charges a fee of 6% of every annuity payment that hits the trust. That, so that, that doesn't seem right, does it? That sort of um, takes the attractiveness of the annuity out of the equation and forces the plaintiff attorney to put everything into the trust. Right. Um, there may be setup fees, uh, tax preparation fees, and other miscellaneous out-of-pocket fees. Um, the types of trusts of people who are injured uh, parties tend to have high disbursement needs. It's mm-hmm. not unusual for us to write you know, 40, 50, 60 checks a year out of a lot of these accounts. And um, you know, our bank doesn't charge anything extra for doing that, but some banks charge a fee of 5 to $15 per, per check. So a lot of those out-of-pocket fees can really run up into a lot of money. And um, most trustees try to do a pretty good job of fully disclosing all of that. But it does make it hard to evaluate the overall cost. What, what about the minimum amount of money to set it up? Uh, uh, and that's going to vary from bank to bank. Uh, again, I've seen trustees with minimums as low as, as forty or $50,000. Um, but there may be some other fees buried in there mm-hmm. that on the other side. In our organization, generally, we're looking for trusts of around a quarter of a million dollars and above, although we have trusts, um, and we'll take a trust of 150 or so as well. Um, we go by a minimum annual fee. Our bank has a minimum annual fee of $1,500. So if, if the attorney feels that the, the account can bear that fee, um, that's fine with us. When you get into the large national banks, um, you'll see minimum annual fees of ten to $15,000, okay. which means that they're not talking to people with less than a million dollars net. Well, Bill, that goes for you. You got that million hanging around. You know who to call now. <laughs> I do indeed. <laughs> Once I get it, I'll know who to call. There you yeah. go. That'll do it for this edition of Ringler Radio. I'd like to thank our special guest, David Cover, Senior Vice President and Senior Settlement Advisor for the Trust and Investment Services Division of People's Bank. Uh, David, how can people reach you if they're looking to uh, get a little more information from you? They can reach me toll-free at 888-846-1970, and I'm at extension 517, or they can email me at dcover, D-C-O-V-E-R, at peoplesbanknet.com. Okay, great. And also thanks to Bill Wakeley for being my special co-host. Bill, you're becoming my favorite co-host. What's your your contact information? Uh, Best, I guess, by phone, Larry, is uh, 1-800-869-9450 here in our Philadelphia office, or uh, always these days by email. It's uh, bwakeley, W-A-K-E-L-E-E, at ringlerassociates.com. You can find all the Ringler Associates, the Ringler website, at ringlerassociates.com. I'm Larry Cohen. I'm uh, also very uh, interested in saying one thing to you today, and that's go Red Sox. Now, go all go out and have a great day, and... uh, (laughs) Hopefully we'll be uh, winning that World Series real soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. Ringler Associates' experience counts. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, 
The Hartford, Liberty Life, Mass Mutual, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential.